0: Welcome to Brit David Podcast. As Sage Valfrey, our next-gen pastor, brings a message from Psalm 32, entitled, The Blessing of Being Forgiven. Here's Pastor Sage. Uh, For my introduction, first off, before I go into it, I I just want to express thankfulness to have this opportunity to preach tonight. Uh, I'm thankful to Tim, obviously, for allowing me to do this while he's gone in California. Y'all keep on praying for him and uh, Dina and their family as they're... Uh, I think they're on vacation now, so the SBC's over there. They're just enjoying their time over there. So keep praying for them. I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful for Tim for letting me uh, do this. I'm also just thankful to the Lord for giving me this opportunity to be able to, to preach his word um, to his people. So uh, for my introduction tonight, I want to actually bring up a well-known Bible story that most of you should know this. I think everyone knows this. Um, the thief on the cross, so, I'm going to summarize it if you are forgetful, if, you've, if you know about it, if you've never heard about it. So, Jesus Christ, who is God, uh, he's lived this perfect, sinless, selfless life. But everyone despised him for it. So, they manipulated the system to make Jesus be scourged and crucified. And so, there while he was on the cross, he was not alone. Of course, he was without his friends and his family, but he uh, was with two other sinners. Uh, not that Jesus was a sinner, but that they were sinners, surrounded by two of them. The Bible tells us that the two sinners on his left and the right, one of them was mocking Jesus, saying, if you were really God, you'd get us off the cross and save us. And then there's this other sinner on the other side, and he rebukes the first. And then he turns to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, when I read this, my first thought is, what a fool. I mean, he's just being foolish. He is clearly guilty. He's being condemned for his law breaking right there next to Jesus. And he looks over at the King of Kings and he asks that he be remembered. Remembered for what? You're being crucified before Rome right now for your sins, for what you've done wrong. You are clearly a guilty man. Why should Jesus, who is the Lord of all, remember you? But Jesus does not respond the way that I do. Jesus responds in grace and forgiveness. And he says, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And just like that, that thief, his faith in God, saved him right there. Despite what he had done, he was saved on the cross right there next to Jesus. This story is so beautiful and it includes the core element of what tonight's message is about. And tonight's message is titled, The Blessing of Being Forgiven. So I'm gonna read Psalm 32 and then I'll pray and we'll just start diving into it. So Psalm 32 says this. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My, my strength was dried up I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and a bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much, and Lord, I pray that as we talk about forgiveness tonight, that you would just help us to understand the depth of your word, help us understand what you're teaching us, be in the midst of our hearts and our minds, help us to be attentive. And God, I pray that you'd convict us of sin and lead us in confession, repentance, and forgiveness. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. So some background for Psalms, for the book of Psalms, uh, Well, specifically for this psalm, the book of Psalms is, as you know, a book full of psalms, which are essentially songs, like poems. Um, And a big half of them are written by David, King David. The one we're talking about today is actually written by King David. Um, If anyone knew about the blessing of being forgiven, it was David. After living a life that led him to being known as the man after God's own heart, David committed adultery with his friend's wife and murdered his friend to hide it. David messed up really bad. And you know what David deserved? Do you know what David deserved for, for doing that, for, for not just committing adultery, for not just uh, trying to hide it, but trying to hide it through murder. He's covering sin with sin. He's just stacking it up. What David deserved for that, when I see that, David deserves death. He should be killed. And if you actually read the story, Nathan, the prophet, goes to him, he presents to him a parable about um, a rich man stealing uh, his neighbor's sheep, his, his neighbor's only sheep that he loves. And David is so mad, he's, he's enraged, he's like, that man needs to be killed. And, and then Nathan says, you are that man. So even David admits that he should be killed for his sin. He knows it. What he did was wrong. For anything else to happen to David, it would be injustice that's just wrong but looking at second samuel 12 we see again that god had a different response than i would to a sinner nathan's talking to david after he gives him this parable david confesses i've sinned and nathan replies he says and the lord has taken away your sin you will not die that's second samuel 12:13 the lord has taken away your sin you will not die what? That doesn't make any sense to me. I bet David's reaction was the same as mine. Are you kidding me? What about Uriah? David's best friend that, that they had fought alongside with blood brothers. They had fought together. And then this happens. What about him? What about Uriah's family? What about Bathsheba? What about her family? Can you imagine being Bathsheba's parents, her mom or her dad, and finding out that this happened? How angry you'd be that that man disgraced my daughter. David should die for that. But then God has mercy on David. This is nonsense. How could God spare him? Something to consider is that anytime a man is in the position to judge another man, there's always potential for unwise judgment because guess what? Men are sinful. All of us, everyone is sinful. We have biases, we have agendas, Whether you like it or not, your biases are affecting your judgment. But what about God? God is known as the ultimate judge. He is the judge. What about him? What about his biases? Does he have any? Well, let's look at what God said to Moses in Exodus 33. He said, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. God can do this because he alone is perfectly holy. He is our holy judge and therefore he decides who to be merciful to and who to condemn. I can't do that because guess what? I should be condemned. But God is sinless. God is perfect. God is holy. He has that ability. He has that position to where he can choose who to have compassion on and who, can, who should be condemned. His judgment is perfect and guess what? We shouldn't question it. We can't because he is God. What do I have to bring to the table? Nothing. Nothing. God has it all. What, do I have anything where I can come forward and say, God, but what about my opinion? Who cares about my opinion? I'm a sinner. I'm saved by grace, praise the Lord, but I still sin. You look at, at the story of Job. Job is arguing with his friends about this, this tragedy that happened with his family. And his friends are like, what did you do wrong? And Job becomes self-righteous. He starts to talk himself up. And he says, if only I could just present my case to the Lord, if only I could just bring it before him, maybe God would understand. So guess what God does? God shows up. It's a huge whirlwind, a storm. God shows up in and he doesn't, all he does is he goes through and he says, where were you, Job, when? And he goes through the creation of the world, everything. And he's just trying to explain to Job, you are finite man and I am God. We are humans. When we do that, it is, it is prideful. But God, he has all the glory. He alone is mighty. And so he can do that, and he does. He did that with Job. His judgment is perfect. And guess what? Praise Jesus Christ that God has chosen to be merciful to me. Because I can look at David all day long. I can look at the thief on the cross all day long. And I could say, he should have died. Why would he have grace on him? But if David should die for that, if the thief on the cross should go to hell for that, then I too should be condemned for my sins. I'm no better than them. Do you feel as if you're better than David? You're not. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now I know all this seems like a rabbit trail. You're probably thinking, Sage, what about the psalm? This is all connected. It's all part of this. Us being sinners has everything to do with this. So let's go through the psalm. The first two verses say, blessed is the one whose transgression, whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So first off, let's ask the question, what does it mean that the forgiven one is blessed? What does that mean? What does it mean that it's saying, blessed is the one who's forgiven? What does that mean? Well, first I want to discuss the translation of the word. So my favorite translation to use whenever I'm reading uh, God's word, I have a, a a journaling Bible that I use. Uh, it's CSV, Christian Standard Bible. Uh, I like that version. And my, the second one that I like a lot is ESV. I have my ESV tonight. That's what I'm using. Um, I like ESV and CSV because they're both translated word for word from the original manuscripts. Um, and so CSV does alter a little bit in its wording because it makes it a little more readable than the ESV. Not saying that the ESV is completely unreadable, um, but that's what they were going for. They, they changed some phrases, not to change the message, but to make it more understandable for the reader. Um, So when you look at the word that David uses here, it's esher, it's a Hebrew word, esher, E-S-H-E-R. This word means blessed, but the CSB translation actually says joyful instead of blessed. So this begs the question, is one of them wrong? Is it joyful or is it blessed? Which one is it? Is there a difference between joyful and blessed? I ask this because definitions are very important. It, just in general, like with life, especially with studying the Bible. Like if you really want to understand what a passage means, you have to figure out what the author meant with his words. And they were speaking and writing in different languages, so you have to figure out what those Hebrew and Greek words meant. So that's why I'm going into this. So let's talk about joy. Uh, there's a re- well-renowned pastor that I listen to often uh, His name is John Piper. He is an American New Testament scholar. He's a theologian and a a chancellor of Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minnesota. I give you that background on him so that you can trust this definition I'm gonna give you. Um, He defines joy as a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit. As he causes us, he being the Holy Spirit, causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. So it's important to note that when Piper gives this definition, he is not saying this is an overall joy for everyone, believer or unbeliever. In fact, he says this is for Christian joy. This is what Christian joy is. So if you look at worldly joy, what the world defines as joy, it's different. You just look at Oxford Dictionary. It says joy is a feeling of good pleasure and happiness. It's a big difference there. The difference is the joy in the Christian, it's all based out of, it's all from the Lord. It comes from the Holy Spirit within you the joy the, of the non-believer of the world, it's, it's just from pleasures, which is just, they equate it to happiness. And I'm about to talk about happiness in a second and what that is. They both emphasize both, both joyfulness and blessedness. They both emphasize something very important and that's the Lord's hand, the Lord's hand in them both. One being blessed is pointing back to the blesser. No one can be blessed without having been blessed by something or someone. So in the same way, Christian joy can only be given to us by the Holy Spirit. So, so both, both blessed, what I'm trying to say from all this is uh, when ESV said blessed is the one and when CSB says joyful is the one, it's, a, it's the same thing there, okay? They're both saying the same message and that's really important. But, you know, it's not the same as joy and, and the blessedness, it's happiness. Happiness is a temporal feeling that comes only from temporal things. Temporal meaning, sure, like not forever, not eternal. Some things that might bring happiness are food, drinks for the alcoholic, alcohol, uh, feeding emotions, sex, drugs, money, power, material things, all these things bring people happiness. It's It's a moment of pleasure, it's a moment of happiness. That was nice, and guess what? That's not gonna sustain the rest of your life. That's why people who start with small drugs end up with doing the worst stuff because none of it ever satisfies them. They just keep going down the hole, and that goes with every other temporal thing. We as Christians, this is really important right here, we as Christians must stop attempting to find joy in the temporal, worldly things, and happiness in the eternal, glorious things. I'm gonna say that again because it's a little wordy. We as Christians have to stop attempting to find joy, which should be eternal from the Lord, in temporal, worldly things, in happiness, which is temporal, in eternal, glorious things. All of us do this. On one hand, we'll take material things, like a nice new car, and let that be our crutch through the day. Sage, that's ridiculous. No one really does that. As some of you are probably thinking. Uh, but that's wrong. We all do this. We all think we're just waiting for those temporal things, waiting for even, just waiting for vacation. Just got a, a few more months for vacation. Just waiting for that off day. Just waiting until my new shoes come in. Just waiting until, whatever, this or that, my, my big bonus, my tax refund, those things, they will bring us like a momentary happiness, but we expect joy to come from them that will sustain us through life. And that's just not how it works. On the other hand, we take the beautiful majesty of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and we will just use this as a pick-me-up on Sundays. We'll say, man, this has been a, a, a rough week, but I'll go get some Jesus on Sunday, then I'll be good for like a day. We try to find happiness in God's word and joy in the world, but we flip-flopped it. We've missed it. Stop downplaying the joy that is found in Jesus Christ and overplaying, overemphasizing the happiness that's found in the world. This joy, this blessedness of being forgiven and saved by Jesus is not temporal, it is eternal. David knew this. He found it because when he least deserved it, he was forgiven. This blessedness must run our very lives. You should be dependent on it for all things. Every aspect of your life should be ran and driven by that blessedness, that joy that's found in you. You're being forgiven. If you try to find the same joy in material things, then you will be gravely disappointed. So David says, one who fits in one of these categories is blessed. The one whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered, the one who the Lord Lord does not count as sin, his iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. I'm gonna emphasize the first three points real quick of that uh, that David brings up because they all go hand in hand. That is uh, your transgression being forgiven, your sin being covered, and the Lord not counting your sin. This is still in verses one and two. If you've given your life to Christ If you've confessed Jesus to be your Savior and your Lord, then you need to realize something. You have to think about this daily. You are blessed. You are immensely blessed. Your cup is overflowing, and you need to acknowledge that every day, constantly. The thief on the cross did not deserve forgiveness, David did not deserve forgiveness. We learned this morning in in the Sunday school, we're going through first Kings about Solomon. Solomon, he did not deserve forgiveness. He didn't deserve mercy. He did, (laughs) that guy, I mean, he consecrated the temple and gave this whole speech about how we need to give ourselves wholeheartedly to the Lord and then he did not, he was not following his own advice later. I mean, he had 700 wives from foreign countries. He was so far off, he missed it completely. That guy doesn't deserve mercy, but then neither do I. Instead, we all deserve condemnation. But here's the gospel truth. Jesus Christ came and he loved you so much that he was willing to forgive you of your sins. This forgiveness can only be found in Jesus. There's no one or no thing else that can offer you true forgiveness except from Christ. I will dive further into the application of that uh, later in the message, but uh, here's a hint before we get there. Us Christians, we have to live lives constantly remembering that we are blessed. I'm gonna go into that in further detail later. The last part of verse two says, one is blessed whose spirit contains no deceit. What is he referring to? This seems strange. Well, it actually flows right into verses three and four. Verses three and four say, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. My, by, for day and night, your hand, God's hand was heavy on me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. Man, it's been hot lately. I, I feel like I've felt heat before. I've, I'm sure I've felt heat like this before, but it feels like this heat is just excruciating and the worst. You're out there, we've been, we did a, um, a water war with the youth between churches. This is Bo right here. He's from Genshin. Uh We did stuff between churches where our, our kids battled uh, with water, And so we were outside a lot. And when we were setting up before we started getting soaked, which is when it started to cool down because of the water, uh, it was just miserable. Uh, David talks about your strength being dried up as by the heat of the summer. That's what I'm thinking of. I was out there when I mean, we were just moving little things, but it's like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna pass out. <laughs> it's so hot. <laughs> but what David is talking about here in this, uh, uh, about his, his bones wasting away and, and God's hand being heavy on him, I've experienced this. I do something I shouldn't have. I say something that I shouldn't have. I think something that I shouldn't have and then I try to act like that it didn't happen. I lie, I lie to people around me, to my family, to my wife, to my friends, and I say that it didn't happen. I dig my hole deeper and deeper and in the midst of these times where I'm living a lie, where I'm living in deceit as David said, I feel this that David's talking about. I feel my bones wasting away. I feel my soul groaning all day long. I feel the hand of the Lord Jesus laying on me, heavy. I feel him prodding me to confess, confess, sage, confess. Just say it, confess. I feel weak and powerless and ashamed. Why does lying and hiding our sin do this to us? Why did David also feel this? This is a universal thing for believers. We all feel this. If you've you've lied about your sin and kept it hidden in the past, if you're doing it right now, you know what I'm talking about. Why does it do this to us? It's because we are temples of the Holy Spirit. This means that God himself resides in us. So when you do something sinful and you don't respond to it correctly, God's spirit in you will tear you to shreds with conviction. I mean, it's a miserable feeling. Having God's spirit pushing you and convicting you in your mind, and your conscience, just, it is excruciating. Join us tomorrow as Pastor Sage continues his message from Psalm 32. Pastor Sage would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is church office at BritDavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Britt David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Brit David Podcast.